Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that not only uh, tells us about what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection, Lord, we thank you for the, the full disclosure of everything that we need to know of why Jesus had to die, uh, what his death and resurrection has secured for us, the certain hope that we can have not only for this life, but for the age to come. Uh, Lord, we pray as we uh, consider something which we may have heard many, many times, uh, that, Lord, that we might be um, filled with the same awe as we were the very first time we came to understand what Christ had done for us. Uh, so work in us by your Spirit uh, to transform us, uh, to be renewed in our love for you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now imagine we had and we're not going to have one, but imagine we were going to have a big car giveaway this morning. There isn't one, sorry. But there's no key. Now, unless some of you have got some criminal background, you think, well, that's a bit of a spoiler. No, if you, no matter how good the car is, if you don't have a key, then you don't actually have something to make use of the car the way that you should like to. And you could say similar things about Easter. Jesus' death is great. But if he remains in a tomb, it's a waste of time. Or to use Paul's language, you are still in your sin, your faith is futile, and you should be the most pitied of all in the earth. You can't have a resurrection without a death. But you can have a death without a resurrection. And it's important, it is paramount for the, for the essential message of the gospel that Christ was indeed raised. On Friday as we gathered together we saw how Jesus' death was not an unfortunate ending. It was not Jesus being the victim of circumstances, having his life cut short. But rather, Jesus' death was a plan even before the moment he was born. He came into this world to be a saviour for sinners, or in to use Jesus' own words, to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Or as Peter worded it in his one letter, he said, He himself, that is Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And when we look at the cross, we see both the justice of God in that justice was fully served, the guilty were punished, the, the punishment due for sin was placed in all of its entirety upon the Lord Jesus Christ. But we saw mercy in that he stood in our place, he was our substitute but he not only paid the penalty for our sin, but provided the means by which we can be restored and reconciled to our God and our Creator. The only way our sins could be, could be forgiven was through Jesus' death on our behalf. But if he only died, then that death was a waste of time. This morning we're going to see that Jesus was definitely... Guaranteed, dead and buried. 
that he was risen and there's a message to tell others. And thirdly, as we wrap it up, he is not here. Jesus was definitely dead and buried. In the story leading up to this moment, Jesus, while he was on the cross, was being mocked. After the Jewish leaders had, had led him there by crowning, crucify him, crucify him, despite the fact that Pilate declares him guilty, oh sorry, innocent, on three occasions, they insisted that he be crucified. While he's on the cross, he's being mocked. He saved others, save himself. They bring back to the taunts and say, this is the guy who said he was going to destroy the temple and raise it in three days. But as Jesus died on that cross, we saw two things happen. The temple curtain torn in two. That place in which the high priest would go one time a year to atone for the sins of people was now flung right open whether Jew or Gentile, all had access to the presence of God and his atoning work as Jesus Christ has fulfilled that once and for all. And the second thing that took place is a centurion who didn't have the knowledge of all the things that God had been doing through the nation of Israel and through the Old Testament, but just from what he'd seen and encountered of Jesus, looks upon him as he dies on the cross and says, Surely this man was the Son of God. As we come to the passage we've just had read, we begin being introduced by Joseph of Arimathea. He was a respected man. He was a wealthy man. He's described as being part of the Jewish ruling council, or otherwise the Sanhedrin. So clearly not everybody on part of the Sanhedrin, voted in favour of Jesus being crucified. It appears that he's a believer in Jesus. Verse 43 says that he was looking for the kingdom of God. But also too, when you put together the details from the other Gospels, Matthew 27 describes Joseph of Arimathea as being a disciple of Jesus, or in John 19 being a disciple, but secretly because of fear for the Jews. And Mark says this Joseph took courage asking Pilate for his body. And you might think, what's so courageous about asking for a corpse? Well, there are a few reasons why it took him courage to ask for Jesus' body. Firstly, when Romans crucified someone, they left them on the cross. They wanted to send a clear message, do not mess with Rome. You would come into towns and the towns would, streets would be lined with crucifixes with dying, rotting corpses on it. They would leave it to rot, left for the birds. So not only was it unusual for someone to be taken down off a cross, but according to Tacitus, who was a historian who wrote about things of this time, he said, people sentenced to death forfeited their property and were forbidden burial. So there was no legal grounds upon which he, Jesus was entitled to a burial. So that's the first thing why Joseph expressed courage. Although there are some other historical documents that suggest that at the discretion of a magistrate, family members 
may be given exception to be able to bury the one who has died. Or you see other exceptions. John the Baptist was given a proper burial by his disciples in Mark chapter 6. But in terms of the general consensus, because he was condemned to death, he was supposed to be forbidden burial, on a rare occasion granted acceptance for family, but Joseph was not family. The third reason why I took courage is, remember what Jesus was actually crucified for? Now they saw it as being an act of high treason. They, they put him forward as a being a king, a threat to the Roman Empire. Do you want to be known as a disciple of that man? But from a Jewish perspective, it was considered a pious act to grant everybody a right to an honourable burial. Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, says, we consider it a duty to bury even enemies. But everything starts to happen in a little bit of a rush. And there's a reason why there's an urgency about it. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. What they would call the Sabbath didn't begin on Saturday morning, but it would begin by the time the sun went down on the Friday evening. And according to Jewish law in Deuteronomy chapter 21, it says, If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain on the tree all night, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So there was an urgency about it, A, because the Sabbath, you couldn't do these things. But also the law says, you don't leave overnight, unless you are cursing your land. So there's a bit of a rush to get this done. But as Joseph comes and asks for the body, Pilate's a little bit surprised. Because a crucifixion normally would span out over two or three days. And this is the same day that Joseph is coming to ask. And so Pilate thinks it sounds a little bit sus, sends someone to actually check, has Jesus died? Now that might seem like a minor detail, but it shows us that biblically it is confirmed by Pilate himself that Jesus was definitely dead. Jesus wasn't just a little bit unconscious or a little bit not well, he was dead as dead. And if you're not sure about that, in verse 45, it says, And they gave him, Joseph that is, the corpse. Not just a body, gave him a corpse. Now, it wasn't just Joseph. He also had Nicodemus, as we um, see described in John's account in chapter 19. And there were a couple of Marys just hanging off there in the distance. But because of the rush... Some of the normal Jewish processes didn't take place. They would normally wash them before putting them into their burial, but given the limited time leading up to, to sundown, things needed to be done and needed to be done quickly. We're told that the tomb in which he was placed in was not that far from where he was crucified. John's Gospel says, Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden was a, a new tomb in which nobody had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, that is the day of preparation for the Passover, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. 
Now, if you ever go on a tour to the Holy Lands, they'll probably refer to this garden tomb as the probable place in which Jesus uh, was buried. may be the case, may not be the case, but Jesus was definitely buried. But within a first century tomb, often you'd have like a family one, which have like different chambers for different people. Although the Lord did say if someone was cursed and punished to death on this occasion, that that they would not be allowed to use it for other family members. So you'd have little chambers off to the side like that one. And then once the body had been placed in there, a stone would be rolled across to prevent it from grave robbers or from animals coming and getting to the body. Often that could be a stone disc that would get rolled down into a groove, easy to get in there, not so easy to get it out. And then Matthew provides us One extra detail too, that things were pretty secure on this one. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, in other words, the Sabbath, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So not only was he confirmed to be dead, not only was he placed in a tomb with a big stone rolled on it, but because the chief priests were paranoid that the disciples were going to come and take his body, they got some... Roman soldiers there, they had the stone totally sealed. It's as secure as it could possibly be. And then the last verse of chapter 15 just sounds a little bit like incidental information. That Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. It's not just a peripheral bit of detail. But it shows us that these ladies saw exactly the tomb in which Jesus was laid. So when they go to see the tomb the next morning, you can rule out any idea that they went to the wrong tomb. That's the last recorded event of the Friday. As the sun sets, then there's the Sabbath. And as Matt finished the service on, on Friday, knowing that Sunday was coming. You would think on early on that Sunday morning, this would be exciting. This is the one who said so many times that it was essential, it was necessary, that the Son of Man must suffer, be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. But the description we have in Mark 16 is Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Go to the tomb with spices to anoint a body. They're not going there excited to get the first glimpse of Jesus raised from the dead. They're expecting to find a corpse to anoint his body with spices. Now Jews didn't embalm bodies. They they put spices on them to to deal with the stench. Although according to John 19, Nicodemus has already put 34 kilos worth of spices on him. So I think he's pretty well sorted out in that regard. But they weren't there expecting a resurrection. 
One of the telling things of, of the biblical accounts is nobody. There is not a single disciple who was expecting Jesus to be raised despite the fact that he said so many times that he would. They were hiding away for fear of the Jews. But as they get up early and they head towards the tomb, then all of a sudden it, it strikes them. What are we two ladies going to do about that stone? That's a big heavy stone. But when they arrived on the scene, the stone provided no challenge whatsoever. Neither was there a Roman guard anymore, neither was the stone sealed on the tomb. The stone had already been rolled back. The passive language that's used there, that it was rolled back, means a rolled back by another, presumably by God. Not to say that Jesus could get out. Jesus had no problem later on getting into a locked building without someone needing to sneakily letting him in. But the stone was rolled away in order that the witnesses might see the empty tomb. But as the ladies saw the stones rolled away, they didn't say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, Jesus is risen. I thought, oh, what's going on here? They went inside, had a little squeers. But as they encounter an angel, they're actually shocked. Like you think, Jesus said he was going to do this. The Psalms say that everything that God plans to do, he accomplishes. So there shouldn't be any surprise that there's anything miraculous going on here. But they were alarmed at the presence of an angel. Often, biblically, angels convey a message. And the message they conveyed on this occasion was this. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here See the place where they had laid him. It's pretty specific what they say. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, that narrows the field pretty, pretty much already. Who was crucified? I'm pretty sure that makes it an extremely narrow field. It's the same Jesus we're talking about. He is risen. He is not here. Come have a look where he lay. There is no doubt whatsoever the women were at the right tomb. That tomb was empty. People for years have argued all these different reasons as to why that tomb would be empty. We see even some of the historical writings from the second century. Justin Martyr in some of his dialogue with Trypho says, Yet you not only have not repented after you have learnt that he rose from the dead, but... As I said before, you have sent children and ordained men throughout all the world to proclaim that a godless and lawless heresy has sprung out from one. Jesus, a Galilean deceiver, whom we crucified, but his disciples stole him by night from the tomb where he was laid when unfastened from the cross and now deceived men by asserting that he was risen by their dead and ascended to heaven. Don't you remember what Matthew tells us in Matthew chapter 27? The chief priests came and they ensured that there was a Roman guard and the tomb was sealed so the disciples wouldn't steal him. A, the disciples aren't going to take on the Roman guards, but in reality, the disciples didn't expect that to happen. 
They were hiding in fear for the Jews. They weren't saying, woohoo, Jesus is going to be raised on the third day, can't wait. And so the angels tell the, tell the Marys, go tell the disciples, and specifically, go and tell Peter. Now, Peter would have been a little bit down the dumps after he denied Jesus three times very closely to this time. Go, meet him in Galilee, just like he told you would in Mark 14, 28. Then, depending on what translation of the Bible you have before you, Mark's Gospel may finish at verse 8. It might go all sorts of different numbers. Whatever you've got, you might have a little footnote saying there that most of the earlier manuscripts don't have the, the details beyond verse 8. And also, incidentally, most of the early Christian writers, as they quote from Mark, they don't go beyond verse 8 either. And it would seem that what has happened is that where verse 8 finishes seems a little disappointing, a little bit lacklustre. And so it seems that people are trying to make them match the other gospel accounts by adding some of the other details that go beyond. But it seems most likely that it does finish with these words. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So you can see why people think, that's not a good ending. This is the greatest hope for all mankind. The women see the tomb is empty. He says he's not here, he is risen. And they were scared and they said nothing. Well, it says they were silent. It doesn't have a time frame, but that was certainly their initial reaction. We'll come back to that in a minute. He's not there. Jesus, in his death, has satisfied to the full extent the justice of God for his wrath and his punishment against sin for mankind. But as we've said many times, if he's not raised, we should go home. We shouldn't have turned up in the first place. Your faith's a waste of time. You're still in your sins. You should be pitied above all people. All three other Gospels record resurrection appearances. And despite the fact that none of them seem to expect a resurrection, after they saw him, things changed. These, the disciples who were once hiding for fear of the Jews, all of a sudden were proclaiming Jesus Christ risen from the dead and were willing to risk their life for it. Because they had seen Jesus but it wasn't some little private gathering of just a little secret 12 people who'd seen Jesus risen from the dead in 1 Corinthians 15 the same chapter which says what happens what it means if Christ isn't raised says this for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures And that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. At the time when Paul is writing, he says, there was one occasion 
when Jesus appeared to more than 500 people. Most of them are still alive. If you're not convinced, you probably know someone who was there, who saw him. You go and ask him. Nobody in all of history has written a thing to say, you know, these people said they saw him, but no, I was there with that person. There was no Jesus. In history, Josephus records the disciples claiming to see Jesus risen from the dead. Tacitus, another historian who writes, speaks about a mischievous superstition that broke out, which we presume to be an allusion towards the idea of Jesus being raised from the dead. So even the historical writers have noticed that something has transformed the disciples based on their claim to having seen Jesus. And just like our car giveaway, no good having a fancy car if there's not a key that you can actually unlock it and do things with it. The resurrection is the key that brings everything that was promised in Jesus' death to fulfilment. It shows that everything that Jesus said about his mission and what he would achieve was indeed true. It shows that he indeed will return as judge over the living and the dead. It shows that he has power over death, that he has power to raise us on the last day as he said he would. It shows that God has accepted his sacrifice on behalf of sinful mankind. It shows that Jesus was raised to newness of life, so also those who turn to him and trust him in faith be given newness of life it shows that as Jesus said as he goes to the father he would send the spirit so where to from here I want to make three points one from Romans 6 one from Mark 16 8 and the third one a challenge from the fact that the tomb was empty in Romans 6 Paul writes for if we have been united with him in a death like his we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. doesn't say might be, certainly united in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you are united to Christ through repentance and faith, you are not just in his family, you're not part of a club, you are united with him. You are in Christ. It's not like a drawn out process where you you begin and you're in the outer circles and you work your way in. From the moment of faith, you are in Christ. Christ is in you. You are united with him in his death. As he died, your slavery to sin was crucified with him. As he was raised, you were raised to newness of life with him. You are now a citizen of heaven, eagerly awaiting a saviour from there. 
That is your identity. You are in Christ. You are united to Christ. You are no longer living as an enemy of his kingdom. You are part of his kingdom, enjoying all the blessings of living under him as our king. Secondly, from that seemingly disappointing verse, Mark 16, 8, where it seems to finish on a rather negative note. You think, why would you finish a gospel account when the women have seen an empty tomb, when they've heard an angel say, he is risen, would you finish with, they were scared, they said nothing. You think, that, you can't finish that way. This is a good news that needs to be shared. And I think that was Mark's purpose, that that would stir a frustration. This is a news that needs to be shared. This is a message that must be shared. Now, these women at this point in time, they'd seen an empty tomb, they'd heard the testimony of the angel. You have the testimony of the entirety of Scripture. You have experienced the new birth yourself. You probably understand way more than they did. We have a message to declare. This is not a good news to keep to ourselves. If the ending frustrates you, I would hope you would be more satisfied with your own response to the message of the gospel. And lastly, he is not here. If your worldview depends upon the, on an idea that Jesus Christ's body is rotting in a grave somewhere, you need to reconsider your worldview. We know from Paul what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, what it means if Christ is not risen. But I can tell you conclusively, Christ is risen. So therefore the opposite is true. So if we reverse what Paul has said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ then is risen, your sins can be forgiven. If Christ is risen, then faith is important. In fact, it is paramount. And if Christ is risen, then to be a follower of him should be the most envious thing in all of the world. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, We thank you that we, we call upon you, knowing that Christ is indeed riven. That we do not just have a hope in a dead saviour or a, or a theoretical resurrection, but one that all of the evidence that you would expect to be there points to the reality of what you have declared to be true. Lord, we thank you that not only that our sins have been dealt with, but that you've been raised in victory and that you will also raise us in victory. We thank you that we will be given and have been given newness of life as we come to you in faith and trust. Lord, we thank you that you have conquered every other power, death, sin and Satan, that nothing can undo your wonderful plan of redemption. And Lord, we look forward to the day that you return, that we will see you face to face. And may we all be prepared for that day through the one and only way we can be prepared, by trusting in Jesus Christ 
who died as a substitute on behalf of sinful mankind, raised in victory, calling a people to himself through repentance and faith. We give you thanks for what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.